You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, church. There we are. There we are. Whoa, okay. Save a little. That's fantastic. For those of you who don't know, cool. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. This is my 16th year at CA. Yeah, yeah, woohoo. And uh, excited to be visiting up from town center. Uh, I used to do this more. I'm, I'm not sure why it's you know, fewer and far between. Whatever. We can talk about that later. I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, many of you are super excited this weekend because it's the 128th celebration of Labor Day in Canada. Okay, not quite Christmas. Okay. Uh, and so we thought that uh, after... After we have had a summer of traveling and camping and going to Europe and getting back, we all deserve just one more day off. So we're all taking tomorrow off. That's great. Uh, some of you have actually gone through the wonderful experience of uh, trying to get your passports the day before you're leaving. I saw heads go back. Does that, did anyone have, go through that? How many people had to do that trip? No? One or two? Yeah? I had that one. That was fun. Um, the Arrive Can. That's a beaut for the, all of us who've got to experience that. Some of our luggage is still in Ontario, depending on where you've been traveling, so that's good. Good to see you, buddy. And so we all deserve just one more day. <laughs> but uh, but what, I, what I would like to do today, I thought it was fitting, as many of us are, are heading back to work, maybe, maybe in a new capacity. Uh, some are heading for another year of university. Some of us are heading into grade nine. Some of us are heading to kindergarten. Uh, I thought it might be good for us today to talk about what it means to work, what it means to, to labor, uh, what it means to find purpose in our day-to-day -day work that we do. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in the almost the direct middle of your Bible. If you're in Proverbs, you're too soon. If you're in Song of Solomon, you're too far. Isaiah, it's right up. Back up. Get to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. These are the most important words you're going to hear, the inspired words of God to us this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here before already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Do you feel blessed? Let's pray and end the service. No, I won't do that. Let's pray. God, we welcome you here this morning. And I, it's my prayer that as we've gathered, gathered here, this would not just be something we're checking off our list because that's what Christians do. Christians go to church on Sunday. But we would come here emptying ourselves 
hands up, ready to gain from you. We want more of you. We want more of your story because it's in your story that our stories find meaning and purpose and belonging. So speak to us this morning through your spirit. Counsel us and comfort us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. Now some of you, amen. All right, I haven't even started yet. She didn't say help him, Jesus, so that's good. That's good. He's already going down. <laughs> now, I just read from the NIV. In the NIV, King Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, uh, we interpreted a word meaningless, meaningless. Is anyone reading from a different translation this morning? Maybe, but you'll point me out. So, uh, ESV, what do, what do we have? Vanities. Vanities, vanities. vanities. ESV? English standard, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite interpretations is, is by Eugene Peterson in his message. He says, smoke, nothing but smoke. <laughs> nothing. It's empty. It's, it's vaporous. The more, and that would be a more accurate uh, account of what Solomon is saying. He's saying it's like vapors. The things we pursue, the, things, the events we, we try to experience, they're like vapors. They're like, they're like a, a rainbow that if you've ever tried to catch the the rainbow with your kids, you, you drive up to the rainbow, and the next thing you know, it's behind you. And you, you can't grasp it. That's, that's what Solomon's saying. Um, a lot of the things that we pursue, our life at times, it feels meaningless. Like the things we're trying to grab onto are just vapors. There's smoke. There's nothing to them. And the point is not that these things are necessarily bad. It's not that they're done out of vain conceit or, or ambition or, or deceit. The point is that if we pursue them as if they're solid, if we pursue them as if they're truly going to satisfy, we will find ourselves feeling empty and lonely and anxious and angry. And the only cure is to remember, and this is what I want to walk away with today, is that only what God does will endure forever. So if you want to get in on a story that has meaning, get in on God's story. Only what God does will endure forever. So get in on that. Work outside of God's larger narrative. You will be frustrated, you will be impatient, and you will be full of anxiety. Paul invites us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. He says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if you're working to the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that work was not simply meant to pay bills. Work was not simply meant to fill time. Our education, when we go to school, it's not just there so we can get a piece of paper and put it up on the wall. It's not just to fulfill a cultural mandate, keep you busy. But it's actually is meant to be part of God's plan. So if you walk away with a phrase this morning, this is what I want it to be. Fulfilling work understands its mistiness. I'm making up words, okay? That's all right. Fulfilling work understands its mistiness, its redemptive potential, and its proper place. Mistiness, its, its redemptive potential, and its proper place. How do we pour purpose into our daily pursuits? I, I think there's a few ways. The first is this. We need to realize that we are mist creators on our own. That's not the one you put on your coffee mug. We like, I know the plans I have for you. We like those ones. That's for me and my house. But I encourage you to get, I'm nothing but a mist creator. And put that on your mug. Or put that in your dining room before you, before you eat. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 says, meaningless, meaningless. Vapors, vapors. 
vanities, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I mean, you read that, and you're just like, who invited Solomon? <laughs> How did word get out? I told everyone, don't invite Solomon. And here he is in the corner, just go, it's all meaningless. <laughs> What's he been drinking this morning? He's not happy. He's a sad drunk. That's what he sounds like. Our, and on first read, you might assume that, that, that Solomon, these are, these are words of an angry, a, a disillusioned old man. But let's be honest, how many of us have been there? How many of you last week, you arrived at home after a busy work day, you kicked your shoes off, you put your feet up, you tur- turned on Netflix, you grabbed the chips and you yelled out, you proclaimed to your family, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Your family came around you, tried to comfort you. So what's he saying? He's saying that all that our work produces has the potential to be empty if it is not played out in the larger framework of God's story. He's saying be very careful what you aim to accumulate, what kinds of experiences you're working towards, what kind of position you're trying to gain because they are vaporous and they will not last. But Solomon's point is not that that all gains are necessarily evil or unimportant unimportant, but that they are transitory and they ought to be enjoyed as such. You want to enjoy that steak? Look right through the steak to the hand that created that steak. You want to enjoy good food, good gifts in life, blessings in life? Look right through those blessings to the hand that's given them to you. Then they find their proper place. And then when they disappear, our whole life doesn't fall apart. That is how we are meant to enjoy the vapors of life. Don't give your entire self to mist. Many of us will chase after mist, after mist, after mist. We'll run after rainbow, and then we'll find it's behind us. Then we'll turn around and pursue it again, and then it's behind us again, and we had no experience. It's a vapor that disappears. Many people live their lives that way. Vapor to vapor. Fulfilling work understands its mistiness, its vaporness. It also understands its redemptive potential in its proper place. Another way that we can pour purpose into our pursuits is to understand that we are co-creators with God. We, you and I, if you are Christ followers, you, you and I have been invited into this beautiful story, this beautiful co-working with God. That's been the story since the beginning of humanity. We've been invited to play a part in God's story. Not just to observe it. Not just... You know, drive and see the, gold, the, the golden ears and go, wow, that's beautiful. No, you're, you're invited to be a part of, of the working of this creation and the care of this creation. We know that God created all things. Psalm 104, verse 24 says, How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There's a sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. But we also know that God invited us to play an active part in the longevity and the beauty and the care of this creation. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, the first humans, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, the psalmist says in Psalm 6, You made them, humanity, rulers over all the works of your hands. So we don't like to get, get, let other people get the benefits of things we create. We just go, no, I created it, I'll hold on to it, don't touch this. 
God says, I've created all things, now I want you in on it. This is a, a gift to you. I want you to rule over it and care for it. How many are your works, Lord? Oh, sorry, jump back. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. You and I, as, as God's image bears, you and I are not simply playing the part of cogs in a wheel. As everything just moves forward, we just kind of dazed out or just part of it. No, God has invited you to be a part of what he is doing in his creation. We are made in the image of God, and we can actually find joy and satisfaction and purpose when we properly understand our work in light of God's larger work, a, a gift to co-care for and nurture his creation. Now, the problem with that, what makes that difficult, is that it means that in light of the fact that you and I have been invited to be co-creators with God, to care for his creation, the work that you and I do, the way that you and I live and work each day ought to reflect his love and his desire for creation. Think about the work that you do. Does it reflect God's love and desire for his creation? Not all work is glorifying, is God glorifying work and good. There are jobs that Christians who have aligned themselves with Christ, who say, my story now finds purpose in your story. There's certain jobs we shouldn't do. So Pastor Mark, kicking cats and yelling at them, not redemptive work. He doesn't really do that just to be clear. Tearing down forests with no regrowth program. Buying out suffering businesses in a, in a cutthroat manner that, takes, that completely ignores the dignity of those who are made in the image of God as you take over their business to get ahead. Taking advantage of those who don't know their rights under the law. Work environments that treat employees simply like tools that are used in order to produce a final product without recognizing the God-ordained dignity in their employees. That is failing to employ in a, in, in a uh, work in a redemptive manner. How about unpredictable scheduling that employers might throw on their employees? Underpaying and overworking employees. Failing to, in word and action, to employ with redemption. As those working under Christ, working under the, the good shepherd, we should desire to nurture dignity and equality in all people that we work with, for, and above. Fulfilling work understands its mistiness. It also understands its redemptive potential and its proper place. We see that also in the fact that our daily work finds meaning within God's redemptive work. When's the last time you went to work and you thought, how can I be an ambassador of the gospel saying, be reconciled to God? When's the last time you thought that way when you work? When's the last time you went into work and thought, how am I going to bring God's light into this work environment? See, the beautiful thing about the gospel, the, the beautiful thing about the cross is it brings meaning to your everyday work. It changes your history, and it rewrites your future. The fact of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the fact that God took on human flesh and walked among us, got his hands dirty, got his feet dirty, breathed in the dust in the air, died to redeem his creation means that your every day has meaning. Your every day has purpose. 
The fact that, that he tells us he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The fact that Revelation 21 says that God will occupy his new creation. That means that your daily minutes, hours, years, lives have meaning inside the gospel story. When we see our work as those who have given allegiance to Christ and his eternal kingdom and his redemptive purposes, our work takes on different meaning. Speaking to the church, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people. Well, chosen, what are we chosen for? You are a, you're a royal priesthood. A priesthood of what? You're a holy nation set aside for what? God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. That, that is why you are chosen. That is why you are a priesthood. That's why you're a holy nation. That's why you're God's special possession. is so that you can declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. How many of you are going to step into work on Tuesday into darkness? Many of us are going to step into work on Tuesday, and on your way you're thinking, man, I work in a dark place. And God is calling you to be his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. The, the, the word for priest literally means a bridge builder. If you are a priest, you are being called to be a bridge builder between the divine and his creation. So how are we doing that in our workplace? We, we love the word shalom at CA Church. Shalom. Hebrew for peace. But not just absence of war. Shalom means belonging and community and welcoming and, and calmness. I, think, I want you to think of where you're going to be at, on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Does it need welcomingness, calmness, community, belonging, gospel shalom presence? Do you, do you, do you see your work and your interactions with those you work with as as an opportunity to be ministers of God's shalom. That'll change the way you approach work. It'll change the way you interact with your employees and your employer. You may need a new framework, or, or if it's possible, you may need a new job. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. We Christians don't grumble and argue at work. What are you talking about? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among, among them like the stars in the sky. You will shine among darkness. So how do you talk about your boss? Did it in a shalom way? How do you talk about the people you work with? How do you talk about your employees when you're meeting with the other leaders? How do you talk about the work that you do? Do you see interaction with, with others in your job as opportunities to be agents of shalom? It's not quite the same as agents of shield. Agents of shalom that breathe life into what seems like often unredeemable places. Or do we just follow the same script that the world follows? Chewing away at people, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, it's mundane, there is no larger story. I remember, and here's the beautiful thing, is many of you are living out shalom in your work right now, and you don't even know it. I was speaking to an accountant a few weeks ago. I said, your work is, is shalom-inducing. He's like, what, what do you mean? Do you understand what, a, what an accountant does for people like me? 
who if you throw the most simple math problem, I'm in the corner in fetal position, crying and sucking my thumb. I need accountants who know what they're doing with finances. If you know me, if you work on staff here at the church, you know I need someone very close to me with administrative skills. I do not have administrative skills. I lose things a lot. I've, I probably lose my car keys once a week here. And Pastor David Wood, bless him, just filled with shalom, as I'm wondering where my keys are, I'll hear him in the office next to me. Oh, big surprise! <laughs> it's not shalom! Is this the wrong place to call him out? No, it's okay. All right. About six months ago, I, I'm just giving you an example why, why I need people to breathe shalom into my life. About six months ago, I lost a mug somewhere in this church. It has never been returned to me. Yet, some people have sent me pictures of it. I don't know where it is, and I can't find the time to go find it. I need people. I don't get you. I don't get people who are administratively gifted. I don't get the joy you have in planning things and getting your Excel sheet out. I don't get it, but I need it. It brings me peace in my life. God bless you. Many of you are doing work that is so important to bringing shalom or a great opportunity to bring shalom. Many of you are stepping back as teachers this week. Has there ever been a more confusing time for teenagers? And now we have an opportunity for a teacher to speak shalom and peace and love and acceptance and identity into the lives of young people. Maybe you're a jeweler. And, and you're, you're bringing shalom to a young couple who's about to get married by producing beautiful rings for them. Maybe you're a social worker helping someone through the system to find comfort and finances and a new way of looking to the future. Maybe you're a gardener and, and you're showing up at someone's house and you're grooming their garden. You're, you're literally bringing shalom through tending a garden, bringing shalom out of chaos. These are all ways that our work can find meaning within God's redemptive work. Fulfilling work understands its mistiness, its redemptive potential, and its proper place. And lastly, I, I would leave you with this today. In, in order to find meaning in our, our labors, in our work, in our school, we need to understand that our days belong first and foremost to God and God alone. We are stamped as belonging to him. By that I mean our lives ought to be stamped. And I, my generation is horrible at this. Our lives need to be stamped with Sabbath. We need to have Sabbath in our lives. We cannot properly understand our work week without first understanding Sabbath. When we practice Sabbath, we proclaim that our time belongs to God first and foremost, and then our labors are second, and our work is second. Do you ever pick that up? Notice God, God, the first experience that humanity has in, Gen in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be your food. 
They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What have Adam and Eve done so far in this story? Nothing. Nothing. God said, I did this, I did this, I did this. You guys should be pretty comfortable. I took care of everything. What should we do now? And, and you would imagine Adam and Eve are chomping at the bit. All right, we, we're, we're in charge. Okay, we've got this. And then he goes, all right, chapter 2, let's take a nap. That's what chapter 2 is. Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I don't know whether God just like, okay, it's a day of rest, and then God just started sleeping, and Adam and Eve were like, I guess we'll... I, I don't know how that worked. But the idea of Sabbath was then given to God's people and given to you and I. Ordained that we ought to rest. The first gift that God gave humanity was marked by Sabbath, being created on the sixth day, immediately being part of this cosmic rest that was ordained by God. It is a reminder that God's first gift to you and I is rest. See, we don't tend to see the importance of Sabbath anymore. And again, like I said, my generation has not been great at this. When I was young, my dad, the, the doors opened on Sunday morning, we were there. It was two hours Sunday school, and then we had a service together, and then we went and spent a couple hours at someone's house, went home for two hours, came back to church in the evening, and if the janitor showed up on Wednesday, we're like, the church is open, let's go. My dad was just always, go to the church if it's open. He saw the importance of getting away from the world and spending time with God. We, that is, slowly seems to have disintegrated among God's people. G.K. Chesterton Catholic theologian and philosopher, he said, before you knock down a fence, first ask why it was built in the first place. God set the boundaries of Sabbath for a reason, but they have all been seemingly ignored or forgotten. The divine claim that God has over us has been ignored. And it's not by mistake that, you know, today, if you were traveling in Israel uh, on a Saturday, and some of you might be doing this in, in October, you will be greeted with Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Peaceful Sabbath. Those are connected. Peaceful Sabbath. Have a peaceful day where there is community, where there is love, where there is belonging, where there is rest. If you remove Sabbath, you will not have Shalom. And many of you know this. You've tried for so long. You've treaded that water. water, And you, you come home. You've done your six. You've done your seven weeks. I mean, seven days a week. If there were eight, you would, you would try. Somehow you'd pull it off. And you'd keep working. And you're feeling anxious. And you're feeling pressured. And you're feeling angry. Why? Because you've removed your life from rest. And you were not designed to live that way. As employees... When we say no to working on a Saturday, we are declaring to our employer who we truly belong to. Employers, when you refuse to make your employees work on Sabbath, they recognize that you do not ultimately have say over the employee's life. Sabbath is not an add-on. 
Dividing, it's not just meant there to divide up your month into four equal, not what it's for. It's a consistent reminder of who has an ongoing, comprehensive, divine claim on your life. So who has that claim on your life? If we were to observe your life from a distance, who's your master? Do you find rest? Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. It is a gift to you. In Genesis 3, it 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 has been a gift, the first gift to humanity, has been how we were designed to function. And so when it's ignored, it keeps us from living lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, as Paul says we're called to in Romans 12. All because we've become ruled by the mist that we chase after. God calls us to rest, and we're like, just one more rainbow. Just one, I got, no, okay, I didn't get that one. Just, Just one more. We're being ruled by mist. We're we're pursuing what Solomon says is vapor. You can never grasp it. It has no lasting impact. It's only taking up your time and making you tired and anxious. And in our spirits, we know it because we weren't created to live that way. Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon goes on to say in verses 9 and 11, he says, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's done all the work that ultimately needs to be done, all the solid work. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That that setting of eternity in our hearts means that only those things done, only those things done that understand the, the vaporousness of our temporary gains, that our, that our daily work finds its meaning and, and aims to reflect the eternal and redemptive work of our Savior and doing all that God's ownership, doing all of this with God's ownership stamp on us, on our past, our present, and our future. That is where meaning will be found in our labors. That's where meaning will be found in the, in the school ground. It's where meaning will be found at university. It's where meaning will be found at wherever your office you're going to on Tuesday, in our living rooms, and in and Starbucks. When it's played within this framework. And, and the, the beauty of this, in a, in a culture that teaches us we are what we accomplish, in a, in a, a culture that, that teaches us that our identity is caught up in what we do, well, what does that do for the person who's out of work? What does that do for the person who's worked the same job for 30 or 40 years and now they're retired? What about them? Where's their purpose? Where's their identity? That's the beautiful thing about finding our purpose, finding the the page that we're on inside the beautiful story that God is telling. If you've been on the same job for 30 years, if you're retired, if if you're out of work, if you're a student, your mandate is never taken away from you. You are an ambassador of the gospel calling out to the world, God offers shalom through redemption. Come and be children of light. Your purpose cannot be stolen. You are still invited about the work of shalom. As some retired pastors around me have often said, you're not done till you're dead. God's mandate goes on. You continue to be beacons of light, bringing shalom to whatever situation you are in, of the living, living with God's stamp on your life, being part of his redemptive work until he comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, I'm mindful that each of us come in here with a different story attached to us. We come in here with different burdens. 
Some of us have anxieties attached to us from this last week. We have an argument we had in our kitchen this morning, um, uh, an argument we had with our children or or at work, and we we bring it in here today. So our, our story is more than just this room. But God, whatever page we find ourselves on, in work, in our relationships, I pray you would remind us of the more beautiful story that that page is in. That whatever chapter we're in right now, whatever pains come along with that chapter, I thank you that that chapter takes place in the larger narrative of your beautiful story of redemption. So may that pour meaning into wherever we find ourselves this morning. May we find strength, may we find identity and hope and purpose, not in what we can accomplish, but in what you have already accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. We thank you that the cross does not only change our past, it changes our future. We thank you that through your spirit, you live with us and we can abide with you even now, regardless of what we walk through. So as we leave this place, may we not live as those without hope. May we not live as those crying out, this is meaningless. I will just put one foot in front of the other until I am done. But remembering who we belong to, remembering and declaring we will not be drawn here and there by vapors, remembering the larger story that we are in, I pray that we would be beacons of your hope and your shalom and your love and your peace to those around us. The world is crying out for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.